Have you ever been diagnosed with a urinary tract infection? Are you someone who has diabetes or high blood sugar levels without the diabetes? Or are you someone who's been diagnosed with interstitial cystitis? Today's episode walks through my experience with essentially all three of these after uh, quitting hormonal birth control. Let's get into it. Welcome to Holistic Wellness, a podcast exploring the science and metaphysics of health and wellness. I'm your host, Brandi Searcy, founder and formulator at Rain Organica, where you'll find holistic skincare in one simple routine. My relationship with hormonal birth control is long essentially a 20-year relationship with a few breakups here and there, but nothing that really lasted until the great breakup of August 2021. When I discontinued birth control at the beginning of August in 2021, I developed my first ever urinary tract infection. Along with that, I had symptoms. Well, these are the symptoms I was experiencing cloudy urine, urine that smelled really fruity, kind of acetony, kind of just very gross smelling. And um, I was diagnosed with my first ever urinary tract infection by a standard urine culture. Fast forward through a round of antibiotics and about two to three weeks after that round of antibiotics, I wound up with another UTI. So I tested positive again for bacteria in my urine, went on another round of antibiotics. This one's slightly longer than the previous round and finished that round uh, was symptom free during the course of antibiotics. And then for a few weeks after the uh, round of antibiotics ended. And then, can you guess what happened next? I wound up with symptoms of a UTI again. And at this point, a standard urine culture came back negative, And my doctor suggested that I might have interstitial cystitis. He referred me out to a urinary, um, to a urologist and went to see that urologist and started talking through what was going on. Um, you know, mentioned my medical history, the fact that I'd been on birth control essentially for 20 years with just a few breaks here and there. And the urologist said, well, due to your age, it's possible that your estrogen levels are lower. And so what's happening is that estrogen really keeps the tissues in your genitourinary tract plump. So it's estrogen that's responsible for keeping everything down there plump, which any woman who's entered menopause can likely attest to. So his thoughts were what had happened with due to the fact that I'm now in my 40s, 
Um, and then withdrawing from hormonal birth control, I don't have the synthetic estrogen there and my body's not producing the same levels of estrogen that it was when I was younger. And so for that reason, I don't have the same amount of estrogen to keep all of those tissues plump. And then what that allows is for the urethra itself, which is the tube that extends from your bladder out to the world, it's how you pee, to um, actually increase in size essentially. So the diameter widens because it doesn't have the um, the vaginal tissue pushing into it as much. And so what this allows is easier passage for bacteria up into the bladder. Just in case you have um, small ears listening to this, Please keep in mind, we are going to talk about that three-letter word in this episode, and it's coming up here next, so giving you an opportunity to pause and um, listen later if needed. So essentially, that was his response, was that you don't have... um, You don't have the estrogen present to keep the vaginal tissue pushed up against the urethra to keep it constricted. It's now larger diameter. It provides easier passage for any bacteria um, present in the region to migrate up into your bladder. Are you wiping front to back? And here's the thing about women. So if you practice oral sex, it doesn't really matter if you're wiping front to back. Um, because the Bacteria that line your digestive tract, many of those that are in your um, in the lower half of your of your GI tract, so down in your intestines, are the same as the ones that are in your mouth, particularly Klebsiella pneumonia and several others like that. And Klebsiella pneumonia is one of the bacteria that is that causes um that's known to cause some of the worst cases of urinary tract infection because this particular bacteria there are strains of it that are antibiotic resistant to a wide host of antibiotics and so anyways if you're practicing oral sex it's not just it it's not that you have bad hygiene it's just it is what it is Here's the thing. So at this point, I was testing negative on standard urine cultures. And um, the urologist said that he highly doubted that I had interstitial cystitis and did not schedule a follow-up to do the test to take a look to see whether or not I actually had interstitial cystitis. So at this point, it was just my general practitioner who said, yeah, I think this is what's going on. The urologist said, if this keeps recurring, come back and see me and we'll get you on, you know, some sort of estrogen support. And this was kind of the last thing I wanted to do after discontinuing synthetic hormones in the form of hormonal birth control is go back on hormones of any sort. But his thoughts were, give it a few more months and maybe your estrogen levels will regulate, balance out and maybe get a little bit higher. Um, or your body will just get used to it. So 
in the meantime, um, I was still experiencing all these symptoms. And I'd mentioned this, I'd mentioned the cloudy urine, the ketoacidosis smelling urine to my general practitioner, to the urologist. Um, fast forward to December of 2021, and I was on my way to work one morning and was absolutely miserable. It was one of those days where I didn't think I was going to make it out of the house because every time, because of that urinary urgency, I thought I had to pee, go to the bathroom. Of course, nothing came out. You get up, walk about 10 feet, have urinary urgency. Like, no, I've seriously got to pee. Nothing would come out. So I was seriously considering calling into work sick this day because I could not, I could barely walk 10 feet without needing, feeling like I needed to go to the bathroom. So um, what I did was get on Spotify and Google interstitial cystitis, or maybe it was urinary tract infection. And what happened is an interview that Scott over at Better Health Guy did with a lady named Ruth Chris, who is a retired nurse practitioner who had her own bout of interstitial cystitis. This was this. Anyways, so I found this interview. I listened to it on the way to work. It transformed my approach to what was going on because essentially what Ruth shared in that conversation was that she was diagnosed with interstitial cystitis. She said it reached a point in her thirties. And um, for those of in case you're listening and you're not sure what interstitial cystitis is, essentially this is an autoimmune condition where um, your body attacks your bladder and builds up scar tissue within your bladder and the symptoms are very similar to that of a urinary tract infection where you have urinary urgency, you may have burning, um, you, you may have itching, you may have other symptoms that are synonymous with a urinary tract infection. And it continues, of course, like auto, like like the Western medicine view of any autoimmune disease, it continues to get worse over the course of your life. So Ruth was diagnosed with interstitial cystitis in her 30s. And uh, within a few years, she decided that she could not live with it. And so she took it upon herself to do something about it. And what she did was figure out that standard urine cultures a lot of times actually miss bacteria in your urine. And the reason for this is because Bacteria grow at different rates and different conditions. So some bacteria prefer one temperature over another. Some bacteria prefer one pH over another. And in a standard urine culture, it is, it is maintaining that urine for a set duration of time and then looking for the presence of organisms in it. So what Ruth discovered is that there are several companies that will test your urine and actually perform PCR analysis. And this is where the DNA in urine is amplified. So it's made to replicate at a really fast pace in a PCR. This is polymerase chain reaction to um, replicate the DNA that's within that, um, within that sample. So it replicates the DNA that's found in that sample. And this might be your DNA. So if you've 
of course, just from your body cells, you pass any DNA out along with your urine, which is, you know, to be expected, especially if you have scar tissue within your bladder, like is common with both UTIs and interstitial cystitis. In addition to that, though, what you're also passing, if you have a UTI, is some amount of bacteria. And so these this polymerase chain reaction is able to amplify the um, DNA of each of those strains of bacteria that are in your urine along with what's in your human cells. And then what happens is the company goes along and do, of course, to genomic sequencing, is able to find um, strands of like DNA section segments of the DNA strands. So quick biology recap here. DNA is made up of nucleotides. One and those might be each nucleotide might be one of four nucleotides. So they go by the um, letters A, G, T, and C. So how each of those oligonucleotides are paired up corresponds to different um, gene expressions and. Just like the human genome has been sequenced at this point, so have many bacterial the so has the genome of many bacterial strains. And so companies are able to take a look at the DNA that was replicated and then pair it up or match it up to um, nucleotide sequences from different bacteria. And then furthermore, they're also able to note whether those bacteria are, resistant to any antibiotics or not. And Microgen DX is one of the companies that provides this service. And essentially how you do this is you work with a practitioner who works with Microgen DX. You send Microgen DX a cup of pee. And then within a few days, they send a report back over to your practitioner that has what came up during the PCR replication along with a list of best antibiotics to use. It's a really nice report. And then your practitioner is able to prescribe the antibiotic based on what was found. So in essentially, so I listened to that podcast episode with Ruth in um, December 2021 began looking immediately for a practitioner that worked with Microgen DX. I don't remember now whether it was January or February when I was first able to make an appointment with the practitioner. Made an appointment. My results came back. It was positive for Klebsiella pneumonia. So um, I was prescribed a round of antibiotics. All of the symptoms, of course, disappeared while I was on the round of antibiotics disappeared for a few weeks after, and then they reappeared again. <laughs> so um, the other piece of the conversation that Ruth had with Scott over on Better Health Guy podcast was that what tends to happen is that these bacteria build colonies within your bladder, and they actually work to build biofilms. And what this does is it protects the bacteria from... Um, from being seen by your body, so being seen by your immune system so that they can be cleared out. And then plus, it also provides kind of this protective, almost, almost, it's almost like the bacteria are in there building cities or houses, a whole subdivision. 
And then they're walling themselves off behind, um, you know, within the houses and within the city. So it's kind of the same way. Even when you have antibiotics in your system, the bacteria, if they're in these biofilms and these biofilms take on different conformations, they might be kind of sheets, um, kind of separating the bacteria itself from seeing your uh, your blood. So even though you've got antibiotics circulating in your bloodstream, the bacteria are protected from it by these biofilms. And so Ruth's um, hypothesis in this interview, again, over on Better Health Guy, was that the bacteria are walling themselves off within these biofilms and actually working together. And so oftentimes, it's not just one type of bacteria. It's often multiple different types of bacteria that are um, working together to kind of this synergistic relationship to protect each other from, um, first of all, being discovered, and then second of all, being uh, eliminated from your body through your innate immune response, and then also through antibiotics. So, you know, taking her information, taking, dis- deciding that what she said was true, went ahead and repeated another round of Microgen DX testing. Um, this time, Klebsiella once again appeared. And um, I don't recall now whether a second bacteria was also picked up on that PCR or not. What I do know is that I was prescribed another round of antibiotics. And this time it was Augmentin 875 for 28 days. And when I told my sister about this, my sister is a nurse practitioner. Unfortunately, she works in a different state. And so she's not, she's not available. Like she's, she's not licensed to practice in my state. So I can't see her for, um, as my healthcare provider. Otherwise I would. But anyways, when I told my sister that the healthcare provider had prescribed 28 days of Augmentin at 875 megs, she freaked out. And she told me, do not take that. You will wind up with CDF and be dead. And so um, I told her, yeah, I, I, I told her, no, at this point, like, I'm done. I'm done with this vicious cycle of taking antibiotics, of waiting around for three weeks, and then having these symptoms reappear, I was like, I still don't think we've gotten to the root cause of what's causing this. And I was like, in addition, that last round of antibiotics now left me with bacterial vaginosis for the first time ever. Um, Had never had an issue with any kind of um, vaginosis or vaginitis. And all of a sudden, now I did. And that's because that high dose of antibiotic for that duration had killed off the healthy bacteria living in my vagina and yeah then wound up with bacterial vaginosis in addition to the UTI-like symptoms. Now this entire time this was over the course of about a year maybe a little bit longer Um, over this entire time I still would present with cloudy urine and urine that smelled like ketoacidosis. At this point, I uh, went back to one of the nurse practitioners over at my general practitioner's office. I went in to see her. I said, hey, 
can you run an H1A1C? Like, I don't think we've gotten to the root cause, and I and I don't know what the cloudy urine is is due to. You know, at this point, my standard urine cultures were coming back negative, because um, I think maybe I probably had another doctor's appointment or two in there where I'd been complaining about UTI symptoms. And um, she she made the offhand remark that, well, you know, other things can cl- cause cloudy urine, too. And I was like, well, the only other thing I know that can cause cloudy urine is if I were a diabetic. And I'm pretty sure I'm not a diabetic, but hey, can you run an H1A1C? And of course, I said this a lot nicer because if I'd said it like that, I'd have gotten fired as a patient. Um, so anyways, she she acquiesced, said, yes, we can run an H1A1C. It came back, of course, normal. Well, then I had a cycle that was consistent with PCOS. Now, I track my cycles following something very similar to the Marquette method. However, I use the Mira Fertility Monitor rather than the Clear Blue Fertility Monitor. And the Mira Fertility Monitor provides a quantitative value of your estrogen and luteinizing hormone levels throughout your cycle on every test day. And so suddenly, whereas my cycles had been pretty normal, all of a sudden I was having all these crazy spikes in luteinizing hormone, but I was not ovulating. And, um, you know, knowing what I know, uh, because I've been charting my cycles for a while now in order to avoid pregnancy, um, I looked at the cycle and was like, wow, this is consistent with polycystic ovarian syndrome. So I started researching polycystic ovarian syndrome, and lo and behold, one of the first things that pops up is PCOS is often associated with insulin resistance and glucose dysregulation within your body. And with that, I went the all of the all of the lights started going off. It was a ding 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 moment, and I was like oh my goodness. Okay, so how does the birth control pill alter glucose metabolism within your body? Well, it turns out that glucose metabolism is dramatically altered by both the synthetic estrogen, so ethyl estradiol, and then also all of the progestins, regardless of which generation of progestin, impact your body's ability to metabolize glucose. So that's Ultimately, at the end of the day, that was why there was this light switch between me stopping the pill and me all of a sudden having cloudy urine that smelled fruity and smelled like, to me, like what I would describe as a body in ketoacidosis. And not only that, but diabetics are much more prone to get urinary tract infections because of the presence of glucose in their urine. And to be fair, one of the doctors had looked at, or one of the healthcare providers, it might have been one of the mid-levels, had looked at glucose in urine. Actually, this might have happened every time I had a standard urine culture. And those had come back negative. The thing is, those are qualitative tests. There's no indication of what the threshold is for actually registering it as a positive result. Um, So even though those came back negative, I'm not sure that they really were negative or if if it is true and like my levels of urine were zero or my levels of glucose in urine were zero, is it because the bacteria were using that glucose inside my bladder? So this whole time, 
like the root cause was the fact that my body was not metabolizing glucose properly. So um, what did I do? Well, I made a few dietary changes. Um, nothing drastic because I feel like my diet is already like decent. There's always room for improvement, but you also have to live with it. So my diet is something that I'm able to, like, it's not horrible. And it's something that I'm able to do daily um, and stick to daily. But I still made a few um, minor modifications to my diet and um, mostly changing up breakfast a little bit and incorporating more protein, a little less sugar in breakfast. And, uh, and, and that involved just switching from like vanilla flavored yogurt over to plain yogurt. Um, and then the other thing that I did was find out about a probiotic, the genus name is Ackermansia. And it's one that's shown in clinical studies to help people um, metabolize glucose more normally and help improve insulin sensitivity. So I ordered some of that. The only place that I've been able to find that particular um, type of probiotic is from Pendulum Therapeutics. The, a link to Pendulum is included in today's show notes. And then the last thing that I did was add a Vosital to my day, every day. So there's something, we'll have another conversation. This, the, the purpose of today's conversation is to share my story. We'll go in depth into um, some of these components in a, in a separate um, episode. And um, then they'll just link back to this one. So for today, we won't get into how inositol helps regulate blood sugar. Um, what I will say is that avocetol has, contains myo-inositol and also d-inositol in the same ratios that are in your body. And so, um, and this particular ratio is supposed to help improve insulin sensitivity once again. And essentially, you add a scoop twice a day to a drink and like water or anything else. It really doesn't alter the flavor all that much of water. It makes it taste like a little bit um, sweeter, almost as if it had like a little bit of magnesium or something in it. So anyways, I started um, taking the full dose of Avocetol twice a day, taking the Acromancia all at the same time, N not according to scientific method at all, but I wanted a relief. And Seriously, within a week, um, these symptoms all subsided. And so this is just another um, kind of just a, an independent case study for why it's so important for women to have true information and all of the information before deciding to go on any type of hormonal birth control, whether it be the pill, whether it be an IUD, whether it be the shot. Um, like we need to know, this is critical need to know information. So um, with that, I will wrap up today's episode. Um, I felt it was just so important to finish sharing my story. Um, 
And I, I feel like this is maybe part two of my story with hormonal birth control or maybe part two, part two of four of my story with hormonal birth control. There is a link back to the previous episode where we spent quite a bit of time going into um, the link between hormonal birth control and gallbladder disease. What I haven't talked about yet is um, the link between hormonal birth control and any kind of autoimmune disease. And I myself have been diagnosed with uh, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is an autoimmune thyroid condition. And in addition to that, um, also have Raynaud's syndrome, which um, can be associated with autoimmune disease. Sometimes it presents by itself and it's called idiopathic. Sometimes it's part of um, a larger condition. And then sometimes it's just uh, associated with autoimmunity in general. So anyways, um, again, this is just one piece to the things I wish I knew before I started taking birth control. And with that, we'll wrap up today's episode. Next time on the podcast, I share an interview with John, with, with John, with Josh and Jeannie of East West Healing. They're known on Instagram as the Real Food Gangstas. And um, we talk all about nutrition, all about their restoration thyroid nutrition coaching program. So be sure to join me for that episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please take a quick second to leave a five-star review for this podcast and to share this podcast with somebody who might find this episode of interest. If you're interested in how to use fertility awareness for contraception, be sure to click that link in today's show notes. Rain Organica is offering an entire course on fertility awareness for confident contraception. And this uh, course is, it's essentially a download of everything that um, I know about fertility awareness methods. We actually go into detail on, we, we discuss the protocols for at least four different methods. And I think it's, it, I think it's more than that, but I'll say four at this point. So we talk about the standard protocol for the Marquette method, the two-day method, the Billings method, and I'm leaving one out. Um, I don't remember the fourth one in, in that. And then essentially what it is, is an overview of all of the ways that you're able to monitor your fertility so that you can make an informed choice on which fertility awareness method most resonates with you and which one is likely to work best for your lifestyle. So be sure to click that link in today's show notes to find out more. All right, until next time. Bye.